Well, good morning. Look at all your happy, smiley faces out there. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. It's spring, right? You're so excited. We are going to turn our attention today to the book of Colossians chapter 3. We are in the third week of Lent. Lent is a season of looking inward as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the celebration of Easter, the death and resurrection of Christ. The tradition that I grew up in, uh, we gave something up for Lent, chocolate, caffeine, something, uh, as an act of sacrifice to God in order to create space for him. And so last weekend, I made a challenge to our church that we were going to corporately give up something together in order to make more space for God. And so the challenge was every Monday to give up, abstain from entertainment media, social media, television, the news, because that's just depressing, right? Give it all up on Mondays and replace it with things that draw us near to God. So my wife and I last Monday did that, got home from work, and usually the way I kind of just end the day is Netflix, Hulu. We didn't do that. We sat in our chairs. We looked at each other and said, now what? (laughs) So it was harder than we thought. We did it, and it was good, and it's only going to get better. Uh, So today we're turning to Colossians chapter 3, but before we head there, I just want to pause and offer a word of prayer to the Lord. just want to continue to pray for uh, the many that are struggling in our world, particularly those in the Ukraine, uh, in that conflict that's happening there. And so as a church, let's lift uh, those folks up together. I believe that you're here, God. The scriptures say where two or three are gathered in your name, you are in the midst I believe that you're in our midst. I do pray this morning for all those in the Ukraine, those that are suffering, the innocent. I pray for their confusion, their frustration, their shock. I pray for the churches in Ukraine. Lord, have mercy. Now, as we open up the scriptures together, would you also open our hearts and our minds uh, to receive whatever it is that you want to give to us today? In the great name of Christ, amen. So I wonder, what is it that you think about? Like when you don't have anything else to think about, when you just let your mind wander. And sometimes when I let my mind wander, I think about my wife or my kids. Sometimes I think about pizza. Sometimes my thoughts go to darker places. Don't judge me, you're not better than me. We all have anxious, dark thoughts. Sometimes they're anxiety-ridden. Sometimes there's a battle going on in here. The direction of our life is often determined by our strongest and our deepest thoughts. And sometimes we get into trouble because we don't think things through or think at all. That's certainly true for children. If you have children or grandchildren, they do something bad or stupid, and we say, as parents often do, what were you thinking? And they say, I don't know. 
And, which is some way a fair answer because the, the human brain isn't fully developed until about 25, 26 years old, particularly the prefrontal cortex, the decision-making center of your brain. So when a kid says, I don't know, there is a little bit of truth to that. Others of us get to a certain age and we start to rethink everything. We might even refer to it as a midlife crisis. I've noticed I don't have six-pack abs anymore. Well, I do. They're just insulated for protection. I've got to guard those. I worked hard on them. I drive a minivan. My hair is thinning. My knees hurt. I know what will solve everything. I'm going to buy a Ferrari <laughs> on a pastor's salary. A lot of my thinking is actually about me because I like me. And I bet you most of you like you. So I bet you a lot of your thinking is about you. You might have even come to church today thinking about you. My parking spot better be open. And if there is someone in my seat again this weekend. The scriptures, however, challenge us to direct our thoughts to a different place. Today's passage from Colossians is... Uh, a bit challenging. It's a, it's a call to rethink some things. Colossians, though we refer to it as a book, is actually a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul while he was serving a prison sentence for preaching the gospel. Now, the church uh, at Colossae, which is whom the letter of Colossians was uh, directed to, had gotten themselves into some weird places. They were becoming very syncretistic. And what that means is they began to blend some religions together. They took some of the Old Testament Jewish laws. They took some pagan philosophy and some of the teachings of Christ and brought them all together and were kind of incorporating all these into their worship. And so the Apostle Paul hears about this while he's in prison. And so he writes this letter to remind them and proclaim to them the absolute supremacy and the sole sufficiency of Jesus for their faith. If I could summarize the book of Colossians in one sentence, it would be this. How we think about Christ matters. And so what we get in Colossians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 is the Apostle Paul's full-length portrait of who Christ is. He begins by speaking of Jesus as God's son in chapter 1. He writes that Jesus is the object of the Christian faith. He is the redeemer. Jesus is the image of God, the Lord of creation, the head of the church. He is the reconciler of the universe. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. Every power and authority are subjected under him. He is the essence of the mystery of God. In him, all of God's treasure and wisdom and knowledge is hidden. And by the cross, he conquered the cosmic powers of evil. And so, when we get to chapter 3, he writes these words. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger and rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator." Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As the Apostle Paul pens these words, he has made some assumptions about those hearing him. The biggest one being that those hearing his words are followers of Christ. He writes, since then you have been raised with Christ. It's, it's a reference to those that are making a life decision to follow him, who've had a change of heart. And so this weekend, along with the Apostle Paul, I'm going to make a big assumption that most of us here or watching online are on some kind of journey with Jesus. And even if you're not, this is your invitation to begin the greatest adventure of your life. But this letter begins with that assumption that we're in some way trying to arrange our life around Christ. And because of that, when we come to Colossians chapter 4, there is this challenge to rethink some of the assumptions of our life. The first one, beginning with our ambitions, there is a challenge to rethink our life's ambitions. Set your heart, he writes, on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. That word set means to think intently about or walk ambitiously towards. Set your mind and your heart on things above. Now, we all have ambitions, right? Which is a good thing. We all have goals. We all have things we want to accomplish. We all have things we want to become. And some of those ambitions are good and healthy and right. And other times, our ambitions are unhealthy and selfish and destructive. Sometimes we even cloak unhealthy ambitions as healthy ones. Like, for instance... I've discovered that in the the Christian church, it is very easy to get really ambitious, fighting against culture 
and society and all of the things that we're against. And so we set our heart and our mind and our ambitions on what it is that we're against. Our social enemies, our cultural enemies, our political enemies, the guy up the street that's annoying, the person at work that I can't stand. Forgetting, as the scripture tells us, we only have one enemy. It's not our neighbor. It's not society, it's not culture, and it's not anyone in politics. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul writes, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. When we become so fixated, fighting that which we're against, It's really easy to create division, especially when someone disagrees with you what it is we're actually supposed to be fighting against. The book of Proverbs chapter 6, the author writes, there's actually six things the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him. And the last thing he lists is division. What would it look like if we set our ambitions more on what we're for than what it is we're against? Other times we get real ambitious doing good work, which is a good thing. Volunteer somewhere, make a large donation to something we believe in. We go on a short-term mission trip to a third world country to serve the poor. All of which are good things, but then we broadcast it to the world. While we say we just want to go and we're really about helping Jesus, what we're really thinking is, will someone please notice me and pat me on the back and tell me how great I am? I get it, because I spent a lot of years thinking, will someone please just notice me and tell me how great I am? Will someone just pick me and recognize me? Like 10 or 15 years ago, if you would have asked me, like, what is my greatest ambition in life? I might have told you, I just want to reach people for Jesus and work in the church, but in my deep thoughts, I would probably honestly say, I just want to build a big church so someone maybe will notice me. And how much of life is just trying to be something or become someone or become the next whatever? I mean, we spend a lot of our life, like we spend a lot of our life building, right? We get married and we build a family. You go to school or trade school and we start to build a career. We work real hard at our health and take care of ourselves and build our health. Maybe we build a business and we work at our business. We're building all these things. In my case, you know, I'm building a church. That looks like Northbrook, right? Building a church. And we spend so much time on all these ambitions, some of which are really, really good. But then something comes along in life very unexpected and just destroys everything that we built. I mean, for me... Part of it was a pandemic that closed down churches for months. For you, maybe it was something else. Maybe you spent years building a relationship and it was destroyed or spent years building a business and something happened or you were on a career path and something changed, something got on the way and all of your ambitions were swept out completely from underneath you and what are you left with? You ever felt like that? You spend a lifetime building something and then that happens. What I found, though, is when things are uncertain, what's important becomes really clear. 
So for me, and uh, like the last couple of years have been really clarifying and really good. Because for me, what's really important is my family because they're going to be with me through it all. Whether I'm somebody or a homeless guy living in a box, I know my family will be there with me. And what's really important to me is my relationship with Christ and finding my security and identity in him. And what's really important to me is not building a big successful church. What's really important to me is pastoring the people God has entrusted to us well. Because I, like, I'm for you. My vision is you and to see you thrive and grow. That's what's, in, that's what's important to me. See, when I set my heart, when you set your heart on things above, when you set your mind on things above, you become razor-focused on the values of the kingdom of God. And when my, my eyes are set, when my ambitions are set on what's important to the kingdom of God, everything changes. Because when my identity is solely wrapped up in what I do, or what I have, or what I'm accomplishing, rather than in Christ, it will eventually disappoint. Jesus even said this, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, where the moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I invite you to rethink your ambitions. Because so many of our thoughts and pursuits are driven by things that really don't matter at the expense of those that are real and eternal. It's like the Colossian church. It's real easy to buy into a narrative that pushes us away from our creator. So there's some paradigm-changing questions that I've been asking Like, why am I doing this? Any of it. Is it for God's glory or is it for mine? Who am I trying to impress? My wife one time asked me at a particularly low moment, she said, who is it, Mike, that you're trying to impress? And I couldn't answer the question because I did not know and I realized I was chasing a ghost. Am I lining my life with his values. Because when I rethink my ambition, my heart, my mind turn towards heaven. Secondly, Colossians chapter 3 asks us to rethink where we find our security and our safety. Like what makes you feel secure? What makes you feel safe? The apostle Paul writes in verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That word hidden means to hide in a safe place. It means to be sheltered from danger. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt so unsafe that you needed to hide or run away. I don't know that I've ever felt quite that unsafe, but I've observed it. Years ago, I took a trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo in Africa At the time of that trip, there was an act of war happening between the government of Congo and a rebel group known as the LRA. And it was crazy, it was violent, and I probably shouldn't have went, but I did. And I went to a city called Bene and spent a week with a pastor doing some work. 
And after a few days, this American guy showed up, which seemed odd because I hadn't seen any Americans in days except for the guy that I was with. He shows up, he spends the night, and the next day he's gone. And so I asked the pastor I was staying with, who was that guy that showed up and is now gone? He said, oh, oh, that guy is a zoologist from the U.S. He was working on a preserve with an endangered species called the okapi. If you don't know what an okapi is, this is a picture of one. It's kind of a combination between a zebra and a giraffe. Because the okapi are endangered, uh, the okapi kind of draw tourism to Congo. And so he was working with this species on a ranch, a preserve to help repopulate Congo. Well, because the LRA wanted to destroy tourism in Congo, they invaded this preserve, killed all the copy, and began to murder some of this guy's staff. And he ran for his life and knew that this pastor's house was a safe place until he could get to the airport and get back to the U.S. Now, I've never felt quite that unsafe. But one of my big felt needs is to feel secure. I bet yours is too. I want to feel secure in my relationship with my wife, my family, my kids. I want to feel secure in my job. I want to feel secure in my health. I want my bank account to be secure when I go online and look at it. I want to feel secure emotionally. And because I have such a deep need to feel secure, it is very easy for me to become demanding so that I can have a sense of security. Demand things of my wife that maybe are unrealistic so that I can have some sense of security or demand things from my employer so I feel financially secure. Forgetting that one of the values of the kingdom of God is sacrifice. It's so easy to become demanding than sacrificial. And yet the Apostle Paul reminds us, for you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. Your security, your safety is found in him because the world is unpredictable. I mean, that's one of the core tenets of of the teaching of the Scripture. All the way back in the book of Acts, chapter 5 The earliest followers of Christ were persecuted and even beaten for what they believed. In one case, Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles left after getting a beating for what they believed, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I'm not going around looking for a beating. But if my sense of security is solely wrapped up in the things of the world... At some point, the rug's going to be pulled out. Third assumption, the book of Colossians challenges us to rethink is the way that we behave. Because our behavior is a reflection of what we actually believe. Verse 5, the Apostle Paul begins this list, which was a very common form of writing in his day. Put to death, therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, and he goes on to describe a bunch of behaviors. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Rid yourself of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Don't lie to each other. And then he goes on to say, and replace them with behaviors that are the natural result of new life in Christ. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Be forgiving. Put on love. Which on certain days can be hard because we're all only human beings, right? It's hard to be these things all the time. And yet at the same time, you and I are called to be a reflection of God to the world. And the way we reflect God to the world is the way that we live our life. My behavior is a reflection of him. It's like when my kids were little, a guy, I mean, two, three years old, we would go on trips, we would fly to go see my parents, wherever we were going. Uh, my son, he always, on the plane, the, the pressure got to his ears, and he would just scream and scream and scream. And we were always that family, the one you did not want to sit by. And people reacted in different ways, right? Some people were very helpful. Other people ordered more alcohol. And some were just jerks, thinking we could just kind of get this kid to stop crying. Like, he's two years old, his ears are bobbing. What do you want me to do? But in the mind of all those observing this, who were staring at us with daggers coming out of their eyes, the thought was, and I can feel it, his behavior is a reflection of my parenting. Which really wasn't true because there's nothing I could do about it. Or when I would take my children to the grocery store and they asked for candy and I said no. And oh, the demonstration that the world received and I could see the other well-meaning shoppers looking at me, judging me, saying, what kind of parent are you? That kid's a reflection of you. You and I are a reflection of the Father. Our behavior is a reflection of who we believe that he is. And so this Lenten season, let's rethink the way we present ourselves in the world because the way we present ourselves in the world is the way that others see who God is. And finally, the fourth assumption that we're challenged to rethink is where we find our peace. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Years ago, I was asked by someone in a fairly serious situation, they asked me, Mike, what do you want in life? If you could just have one thing in life, what would it be? And at first, I did not answer that question, so I thought about it. What do I really want out of life? And I realized the most honest answer I could give was what I really want is just, I want peace. I mean, peace can come and go. Lots of things can steal our peace. I'm not talking about that kind of peace. I want, I want a peace that transcends. I want a peace that transcends the best day of my life and the worst day of my life. It's not something I can achieve, simply something I open myself up to, which is difficult for someone like me. I mean, many of you have been here a while. You've heard me talk dozens of times about my 30-year battle with anxiety and OCD. Like, I, it's hard to find peace as you ruminate and get anxious thoughts. But at the same time, having a heart that opens me to the possibility that there's a better way of being in the world, that the peace of Christ rule. That word rule means to be in charge. We also get the English word umpire from that same word, like a baseball umpire. Now, years ago, my very first job was a baseball umpire for Little League. 
And it was a horrible job, by the way, because anyway. But the great thing about being an umpire is you're in charge. And when you're in charge, you don't only call balls and strikes, but if the coach gets a little too crazy, you're out of here. There is something so satisfying about tossing a coach as being a jerk, especially when the kids are eight. Because when you're the umpire, you're in charge. You're the dominating force on the field. Christ's peace, when we allow it to be, is the dominating force of our hearts and has the authority to toss out all those anxious thoughts that steal our peace. I mean, we say, well, we say, well sometimes I feel peace and sometimes I don't. But that's because it's very easy to view peace as a product. And when things are good, I have peace. And when things aren't good, I don't have peace. That's not what the book of Colossians is talking about. There is a peace that transcends all that. And I can't earn it. I can't do it. All I can do is open myself up to it and say, God, I trust you. So this season of Lent, as we're looking inward, as we're thinking about Easter and the resurrection of Christ and the very foundation of what our faith stands upon, let's rethink our ambitions and set our eyes towards heaven. Let's rethink where we find our safety and security for for we died and our life is hidden securely in him. Let's rethink the way that we behave in the world because the way that we behave in this world is a reflection of the God that we serve. And finally, let's rethink our peace. A peace that transcends all human understanding. A peace that transcends the actions of the day. Our worship team is going to come back. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a final song of worship uh, to God. And as we do, let's set our eyes towards heaven. Lord, we, we this morning, uh, whether we're here in person or online, we, we just take a moment, we set our hearts, and we set our minds towards you. This challenge from the book of Colossians is a challenge to rethink all those things that we hold dear. So as we look inward, O God, and prepare our hearts and our minds for Easter and resurrection, may we be ambitious for the things of the kingdom. May we find security in Christ. May we act in such a way that brings honor and glory to you. And may our peace be centered in you. May your peace be the umpire of our heart.